0: Good morning. My name is Roland Martin. I am a drug and alcohol counselor with Mpete Lutotipi. Luto Lutotipi is the OST Substance Abuse Treatment Program. We have offices in Martin, Pine Ridge, Kyle, Wombley, and Sweat. I'll provide more information about Luto Lutotipi later in this broadcast. Since I was given the task to do the radio show for Mpete Lutotipi on Thursdays, 10 a.m. in the mornings, I've provided about 12 episodes so far. And for the most part, I've been focusing on trauma. I've been doing this because trauma is shown to be the largest contributor to addiction behaviors. The World Health Organization defined the methamphetamine problem as a trauma problem. And having worked in the field for many years, is easy for me to see this. I said many times we don't have an alcohol problem an amphetamine problem an opioid problem we have a trauma problem resulting in a alcohol opioid and methamphetamine problem i believe when we start to look at the methamphetamine problem as a trauma problem we are better positioned to look at solutions there are so many contributing factors to the trauma problem we can consider the historical trauma and the intergenerational trauma, which falls within sight of historical trauma. We can consider the boarding school experience, which was an attempt at assimilation. We can look at trauma from the community perspective, the family, and the individual. It's easy to see how traumatized people have kids at an early age and then turn around and provide a learning environment for their children to be traumatized next. And then the cycle continues from one generation to the next. We should understand wounding seeks wounding. Hurt people hurt other people. When clients get an understanding of the cycle of trauma, how it transmits from one generation to the next, for example, from the, uh, the historical trauma effect, the intergenerational trauma cycle, the wounded massacre, the Sand Creek massacre, the boarding school experience, which had a cultural genocide effect, The various forms of institutionalized oppression with oppressive laws, the constant attempts to erode our sovereignty, the wiping out of the buffalo, which was our spiritual vitality, forced dependency. Even after the boundaries of the reservation were created, there was theft of land and are so, so much more historical events I don't have time to mention here. All of this has a tremendous traumatizing effect, a loss, a unprocessed grief, that is passed down from one generation to the next. For the most part, the living today do not have a direct first-hand experience of all this that I mentioned, but they don't need to for the historical trauma effect and intergenerational trauma effect to be very real. To put it very basic, hurt people hurt people. For example, a fetus within the womb of a traumatized mother has a direct effect on the development of that fetus. The level of adverse childhood experiences has a direct effect on life adult outcomes. For more information on that type of research, just Google adverse childhood experiences. My point is to have a long history of trauma and oppression with a cultural genocide where so many of the important norms and practices that we had to keep a safe society and keep a society healthy were removed over many generations in the boarding school experience is a perfect setup for the continuation of hurt, pain, and grief over generations. And where you have hurt, pain, and trauma, you're going to have attempts to make things better through the use of substances like alcohol and drugs. So it's very clear to see how the meth problem, the alcohol problem, is a trauma problem. Dealing with this trauma problem is possible. The real situation I see here is, do we have the will to address the trauma problem? Are we as a people, a nation, able to face this challenge? Is it possible? Yes, it is. But do we have the will? If we want to have a war on drugs, go ahead. Do so. As soon as we lock somebody up There is somebody else taking their place, two or three more, waiting to take that place to sell those drugs. It's been proven over and over since the concept of the war on drugs with the Nixon administration came out. If the demand is there, the supply will be met. We may have temporary gains where you slow down the flow, but it will pick back up. It's going to continue. I believe there needs to be focus on the roots of the methamphetamine problem, which is trauma. There is no silver bullet. This type of work takes time. It is basically a generational change. It would be a multi-pronged approach with many fronts on how to address trauma, how to do the processing, how to heal, how to prevent further traumatizing of the young. For many decades now, we had a programming of the mind that starts early in life for the young that results in a self-concept of being traumatized resulting in a painful sense of abuse, neglect, victimization, guilt, shame, low self-worth, wounded, depression, ADHD, addiction, and many other mental health disorders. These internalized issues results in many health problems, along with high rates of social problems, such as high rates of incarceration, domestic violence, early mortality rates, high suicide rates, and the rate of crime. This also affects economic development. So trauma does not just affect high rates of addiction. It also affects all aspects of society. The trauma carried within does affect all families and all individuals. The question isn't, can this be reversed? Can there be change for the positive? The question is, do we, as a sovereign nation, have the will to do it? I'm talking about long-term planning with invested interest and a constant development of resources for trauma processing, trauma resiliency, trauma education, trauma-informed services, trauma-informed justice system that shifts away from punitive action and move towards restorative practices. Restorative practices are healing in nature. Restorative practices, such as peacemaking, is stepping right into our cultural past, bringing forth the strength within our culture. It is a very powerful tool to help improve the health of our society. Everything I'm talking about here is directly linked to trauma, and trauma is at the base of addiction behaviors. When I work with clients in addiction, I have a large focus on trauma. Clients acquire an education in trauma. They understand how historical events leads directly to their own traumatization within their own families and how trauma is expressing itself in their lives right now, today. With that, what are the links with trauma and drugs and alcohol abuse? They understand how trauma affects their outlook, their views on life, how it affects their behaviors. This obviously includes unwanted behaviors, their relationships with others within their own family, their relationship with themselves, their spiritual life, trauma work, and education, results in a shift in views, a shift in perception about trauma and its effects in our life. It's a shift in how we see ourselves and how we understand the spiritual aspects of healing. I believe the healing process a client goes through in the trauma work is something that can be duplicated on a much larger scale, not just within families, but within society. On an individual level, we're working with core beliefs one has about themselves, as these core beliefs shifts, the uh, fog lifts, the perception of oneself improves, vision improves, and along with this, behaviors change. This type of work goes directly to all of the causational underpinnings of the things we do not want in our families and society. The inspirational aspect of this type of work is we are drawing upon the resources within all of us. This type of planning should have an emphasis on the young. If the young ones from an early age at early head start and then kindergarten begin learning mindfulness practices at that age, it becomes a part of who they are. It becomes a natural thing to do. The healing effect begins early. This type of work at that early age becomes a very powerful Preventive measure. It is development of resources within them. In other words, this is a development of a natural strength within them to help them go through what would be a traumatic event. In other words, the traumatization of an event would be less. And because it is a daily practice, what traumatization that did occur would be processed out through the daily practice of mindfulness exercises. The definition of mindfulness is the quality or state of being conscious or aware of something. Next, a mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations used as a therapeutic technique. These are all powerful attributes of processing trauma within the stillness of the mind. The most powerful form of healing occurs within the stillness of the mind. This is far beyond any therapeutic modality any therapist or counselor can provide. This type of life skill is right in line with our cultural past, as it draws from the truth that resides within us. Within the stillness... The thinking, rational, ego state of mind, which is the self, the I, the conditioned state of mind from society, that is quieted and still, because it is this rational mind that gets us in trouble in the first place. It is said God comes to the quiet mind. Well, it's in the stillness of the mind that truth speaks to us in the language of peace. It takes the illusion of trauma and dissolves it, because... Its only existence is based upon our belief in it. It doesn't change anything in the physical world. It changes our relationship with the physical world and how we perceive ourself in the physical world. How we perceive events in our life will determine how we feel about it and how we experience it. For example, two men could be standing in a road side by side. A car comes up and screeches on the brakes, slams on, stops right in front of them. One is traumatized severely, and the other one has no effect at all. Or two men are standing there. One guy walks up to these two, puts a gun at both of them. One is traumatized severely, and the other one is not traumatized at all, because it all depends on how they perceive the event. All of this is a function of the mind. Traumatization is not what happens to us. Traumatization is a function within the mind. This is the power of mindfulness work. The healing occurs within the mind. The mind itself is not the brain. The mind exists on the spiritual realm, and that is the causation level where things happen, where decisions are made. The brain, physical brain, will only follow the mind. Mindfulness education, training, and practice extensively in the early years of an education, K through twelve, is a powerful way to set the mind with powerful resources to protect it from future traumatization. In the early years of kindergarten, preschool, and elementary, these are formative years that develop a a trajectory of life. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It's not just trauma we're working with. We're helping to develop emotional maturity, spiritual maturity, and mental maturity. It's a natural result when we learn to listen to the greatest teacher of all within side of us. Today, we call it mindfulness practice. Really, it's just a return to our cultural past. The wisdom keepers of the past drew from the wisdom from within side Long ago, our cultural norms and behaviors provided for this type of life. We don't strive to acquire anything. We don't become anything. We awaken to what is, what has always been there. We realize the nature of oneness. This is how we beat the meth problem, the alcohol problem, the opioid problem. The meth problem is a trauma problem, and a trauma problem is a disconnect from one's self, one's true nature. Aboriginal people, which is native people around the world, understand that the true nature of things is spirit. The true nature of spirit is oneness, existing in love, peace, acceptance, oneness. Connecting with oneself is realizing the nature of oneself, not as a body but as spirit. To fully identify yourself as a body is a very traumatizing experience because bodies are attacked, rejected, abandoned, neglected. Bodies carry a sense of shame, guilt. If we fully identify as a body, now it's us. We see ourselves as guilty, shameful, abused, neglected, abandoned, rejected, unloved, unimportant, etc. In the stillness of mind, where truth resides, for example, mindfulness practices, we begin to awaken to what is true. Experiencing truth is just about impossible through any means while we're in our thinking mind. For example... We can't read about truth. We can't be told about truth. This would only be intellectual knowledge. To experience truth is to awaken to it. It is felt and understood without words. It is beyond what could be spoken. Intellectual knowledge may help with uh, pointing the way, with uh, finding a path. But the experiential aspect of healing is the awakening. For example, in Black Gauck's book, Black Elk Speaks, it is written, open quote, As I lay there thinking of my vision, I could see it all again and fill the meaning with a part of me like a strange glowing in my body. But when the part of me that talks would try to make words for the meaning, it would be like a fog and get away from me, period, end quote. The understanding is experienced and the talking part of us comes from our prefrontal lobe, the upper brain. This is where reasoning and thought is held. Reasoning and thought that is imprinted upon conditioned state of mind from society, from the human experience that has us believing we are abused, neglected, abandoned, rejected, not loved, unimportant etc. All of the harmful, hurtful things that are traumatizing, that leads to addiction. Research has shown mindfulness for kids helps with increased focus, attention, self-control, classroom participation, compassion, improved academic performance, ability to resolve conflict, overall well-being, decreased levels of stress, depression, anxiety, and disruptive behaviors. So, in mindfulness, we learn to still the mind. We learn to be in the present moment. We learn to feel what is inside and whatever is traumatizing. There is a record of it kept in our body, a felt sense of it, an emotional state. In the stillness of the mind, we learn to be with that pain. We learn to feel in the body. We just stay with it, be with it. Because in that stillness, we bring the illusion of trauma to the truth. And both cannot coexist in the same space. Illusion has no effect on truth. Illusions are based upon perceptions. Perceptions could be wrong, incorrect, because they are based upon a belief system that is also wrong and incorrect. Beliefs come and they go. These kind of belief systems that result in traumatization are the core beliefs. These are the I am beliefs. For example, I am guilty, I am shameful, unimportant, unloved, and so forth. At the deepest level of core beliefs, they are only changeable through experience. This is the experience within the stillness of the mind. Okay, so I talk a lot about these things. It has to be said over and over because this is a whole different frame of reference how to think about healing. If these concepts are repeated over and over and said in different ways, a frame of reference starts to develop to understand healing within the stillness of the mind, something that is available for every one of us. Everything I said today is a part of healing trauma, as trauma is a major force driving the addiction behavior, resulting in a opioid, alcohol, and meth problem we are facing within our families and communities. I spoke about the need for a big approach, a long-term planning to heal trauma, and to prevent it from spreading like it is now. Before the cultural genocide effect of the boarding school, we had cultural norms and safeguards that would prevent the spread of trauma. I talked about the preventative measures we can implement in schools. Our sovereignty should give us the ability to rethink our justice system with respect to trauma. What do we really want out of a justice system? And what are we getting currently? It used to be understood if trauma goes unchecked, we could not survive as a group. Peacemaking was not just some nice concept that we carried because it was nice. It was a vital part of society to ensure the continuation of a people. We cannot survive as a group if we did not maintain the peace. To talk about peacemaking in our justice system, How it relates to healing trauma and addiction is a whole different broadcast and episode into itself. The meth problem is bad right now, and it's going to get worse. I hate to imagine how much worse things can get. The rate of crime and violence will also go up. Declaring a war on meth or drugs may have temporary gains, but in the big picture, it's not stopping the flow of drugs. So, what else do we know? What else have we tried? Within our cultural past are solutions. Understanding the nature of the strength within our cultural past is important. And bringing the essence of our healing ability back into the present day. Examine and understand what we are currently doing. It's not working. Even my own practice of addiction treatment has huge limitations placed upon it because I operate in a box with policies to guide practice written by people who have very little understanding of addiction and how to treat for addiction. Most people who work in the people-helping field, whatever that might be, typically operate under a huge bureaucracy, and it's very possible for 80-90% to of our energy to be spent on the operation and management of the bureaucracy. This goes back to what I said earlier about are we able to evaluate what we're doing? What do we really expect out of services we provide to our people and why? Is it effective and do we have the sovereignty to change it? Do we have the understanding, the way out of a meth problem, which is really a trauma problem? The solutions are found within our culture if we can see them. I guess the real question is do we have the will to do it? I'm ready to discuss more about what I talked about here today, and to be a part of long-term planning. I believe there is more education needed so we can understand the nature of addiction, the nature of trauma, and the nature of healing. In this broadcast, I talked about various things. Each thing I talked about could be opened up further for further discussion. Furthermore, I like to present on these very topics. If you would like to hear this broadcast again, you can find it on Spotify. Look under Native Addiction Healing. The episode will be titled Rethinking the Meth Problem. I'll provide the information where to find this broadcast again here shortly. Again, my name is Roland Martin. I am a drug and alcohol counselor, and I work with MPETI LUTO OTP. Empete LUTO is the OST substance abuse treatment program. We have offices in Martin, phone number is 605-685-6400. The Pine Ridge office is 605-867-5595. The Kyle office is 605-455-2331. The Wombley office is 605-462-6480. And I'm working in sweat. My office number is 605 685-1582. In the SWEAT location, our facility is a residential program, but we are currently not open for residential treatment due to a huge lack of staff. If you would like to work in the addiction field, contact our Pine Ridge office to to inquire about employment. So currently, I am providing Level 2.1 Intensive Outpatient Treatment which is commonly referred to as IOP treatment. The Ampetilutotipi leadership team decided to shut down the uh, treatment services here in the sweat facility and move back to Kyle, to our old residential facility where we can open up residential services. The services provided by Ampetilutotipi are alcohol and drug assessments, DYDWI education classes, outpatient groups, aftercare recovery support groups, medication-assisted treatment, and parenting classes. For further information on these services, contact an empathetic TV office near you. If you would like to hear this broadcast again, you can find it on Spotify. Look under Native Addiction Healing, and this episode is going to be titled, Rethinking the Meth Problem. If you would like to further discuss any of the things I've talked about here on this broadcast, you can contact me at the Sweat Facility, the phone number 605-685-1582. My name is Roland Martin. Thank you for listening.